Well, good morning. It is so good to be with all of you. So I'm going to do something that I typically do not, would not, uh, but I want to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to take a selfie up here with you guys because there was a certain guy who said, let's just have one service on New Year's Eve. And so we might as well go ahead and document that I'm wrong uh, and that the rest of the staff is going to give me a whole lot of grief for it. So here we go. All right, ready? One, two, three. All right, that's good. All right, we have documentation. I was wrong. All right. It is good to be with you. I'm excited to uh, just spend this time as we kind of refocus. We started something back in August called 141. We chose uh, this initiative just so that we could go after that one person in our life who might not know Jesus yet. Okay, and so if you were with us, you've been doing this with us. Fred already mentioned it. We've been taking a, a minute out of every service to pray for that one person who doesn't know Jesus. And then every day at 1.41 p.m., our alarms go off. Hopefully yours does as well as mine does. Um, and we stop and we pray for a minute for that person. And I wanted to take today just to remind you of why we're doing that. Uh, I don't want you to lose sight of that as we jump into 2024. We're going to continue doing that. Uh, but I wanted to just remind us why we're doing that. And so I thought I'd just take the entire time of our teaching to do that. Um, hey, if you got kids in here, they're good. I love having kids in here. If they're squirrely, so am I. Uh, so we'll be squirrely together, all right? Uh, so don't worry if they get a little rambunctious. I'm okay with that. Um, but as we are preparing for the new year, I started to reflect on New Year's Eve. Now, I've experienced lots of New Year's Eves, uh, but for those of you who uh, maybe were born in the 2000s, some over here, uh, sorry, this is going to be a history lesson for you. Um, for those of you that experienced it, you remember Y2K, right? You remember this, like this was the, the greatest anticipation of a new year that I've ever experienced. And it started when the year turned over into 1999. Apparently, we hadn't thought about the next year. Um, and uh, uh, this was what was going to happen. Everyone was panicked because our, our computer systems at the time weren't what they are now. And nobody knew if when the date turned over, because the date was taken by the last two numbers, right? So 1998 and computer code, it was just 98. 1999, the computer code, it was just 99. And so when it turned over the year 2000, we weren't sure if the computers would know it was 1900, 1800, or 2000, right? Everything was going to crash. The entire power grid was going to go down. Cell tower was going to be done. Like your bank, all, it's, your money's just going to fly out of the bank, right? <laughs> like everybody was in panic. Now remember, we, we planned this giant Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve uh, party with a bunch of my friends. At that time, I was in high school, so we were like, "Let's go, burn the world down," you know? Like, uh, <laughs> I was a high schooler, okay? Like, and uh, I remember one of my buddies was not allowed to come to New Year's Eve party with us. Like, his dad was convinced that it was all going to burn down. He was going to his lake house in southern Indiana, where they had water stored for six months, food for longer. Like 17 backup generators, guns for days. Like I, like he literally, they went south and like they were, they were gone. Now I remember that night, it was great. We, I had a good night, we were with our friends and we were all excited. You know, the countdown began and we're like, here we go. You know, like we, we had flashlights. Did you guys have flashlights? We had flashlights in our hands, you know, just in case. And uh, the countdown went, the ball drops and nothing happened. 
nothing. Our lights worked, the TV worked, the people on air were like, we're still here, you know? And it was just this like, what was that about? Now, I did read, and I did not know this until like two weeks ago, that there were some computer systems that failed during that time, but nothing major that failed. Uh, Life went on, unfortunately, nothing spectacular happened. My buddy came home, uh, and uh, I don't know what they did with all the food and water, but he came home, so. But that year was so much anticipation, right? And, And today, I mean, even now, there's anticipation into like the new year. We get a new chance. I even talked to one of you this morning. I was like, this has been my week. So I'm ready for the new year to start, right? Like it's not been that wonderful of a week. And and so the temptation as a pastor is to take this time and to kind of dive into New Year's resolutions and and restarting things. And and we don't want to do that this morning. I want to remind you of something that we are doing and that we've been doing for months and we're going to continue doing for months. And that is this one-for-one initiative. Really focusing on the people in our lives who don't know Jesus yet. And that there's plenty of people in our lives that don't know Jesus, but there's one, hopefully, that you've been praying for on a consistent basis. And the great thing is, is that like this is, it's not like a mega church. uh, We didn't take this from like a mega church. Mega churches probably aren't doing a lot of this. It's not like the most popular thing out there to do in the church world right now. Like we're choosing to do this because we see in Jesus someone who takes one person at a time. And if we're called to become like Jesus, then this is one of the greatest ways we can do that. We want to be about going after one person at a time, praying for them, uh, entering into conversation with them, sharing our story with them. I talked to another one of you this morning, shared your story with your one this past week happens to be in your family. Like, I can't tell you how encouraging that is to me. Like, that, that's what we want. We want you to be about those who don't know Jesus. It's fun to be together, yes. Um, it's even more fun when you walk in and there's somebody next to you that I don't know yet. And that's a possibility that we could change their eternity. That's why we do this. And we see this in Jesus' life. And it's an incredible view, the story we're gonna look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're gonna be in Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight, and Jesus is um, in the midst of his ministry at this point, right? He just gets done uh, healing this demon-possessed individual. He, he sends uh, the demons into a group of pigs. You, you probably know this story, whether you go to church or not, because it's crazy, and then the pigs run off the edge of the cliff. And so Jesus, like, fame is spreading. People know who he is now. Like, the crowds are starting to get bigger and bigger everywhere Jesus goes, um, and as that takes place, we see kind of this moment of transition for him where he's leaving a big crowd, but what he doesn't really, well, I'm sure he knew. He was headed to an even bigger crowd, right? So Luke chapter eight, verse one says this. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. I'm going to pause. And so Jesus has just left a giant crowd. And and the thing is, is at this point, there's nowhere he goes that there isn't like a crowd. Okay. So he comes uh, to the other side. And as they're, they're pulling up on the boat, you know, you can see this group of people on the shore. And as you get closer and closer, it seems to get bigger and bigger. Right. 
Jesus gets off the boat and these people, they're, they're waiting for him. They're, there's this anticipation that Jesus is coming. What is Jesus gonna do when he gets off that boat? And as Jesus gets off the boat, one man, and I, I kind of see him like pushing through the crowd. One man comes just flying up to him, like right at the edge of the water. And it's Jairus. He's the local synagogue uh, leader. He's the one who's in charge of the, the business affairs and the, and the worship within the synagogue. Everybody in the crowd most likely knew who he was. And here's this man that they all kind of looked up to and he's coming before Jesus, bowing down before him. Why? Because his only daughter, he's about 12 years old, was dying. Now, some of you in here are parents, uh, you know what this is like, right? Like you've, you've had a season where you've had to plead on your child's behalf. Uh, we've, we've had one of our kids who struggled in school. And one of the things that we had to do is just uh, plead on his behalf. The school system sometimes could be a tough place for that. He, uh, they, were, they were great enough to, to be able to like, test great on, uh, you know, not great, but to test like, in the average area on the, on the NWA. And then, but then in classroom, it was just horrible for them. And so what we had to do is just go before the school and say, this is not working out. Unfortunately, they, in, they inherited the way their dad learns. And that is not the way the school teaches, okay? Right, because <laughs> dad struggled just as much. And, and so we had to plead. We had to go and just beg the school system, like, will you help our child? And this is what Jairus is doing. He's coming before Jesus, except for this is way more extreme because his daughter's on her deathbed. And out of the entire crowd, Jesus sees Jairus. And this is what he says. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds, right? It's, it's, we don't even see anything being said. Jesus just gets up and he goes with this one person. Like this is his focus. His focus, and here's an entire crowd of people that he could spend time with, teach. He could do some kind of miraculous thing in front of them to gain their uh, trust and their following. And yet he goes with this one man who says, I need your help for my daughter. But in the midst of that, another one comes to Jesus. Verse 43, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the friends of Jesus' robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And then Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This to me is one of the funniest scenes in the Bible. It, it is, because here Jesus is in the middle of a crowd. Like, it's like, if I asked you all to exit and then I stood right there in the middle and one of you touched me, I'd be like, who touched me? And you're all like, are you kidding me? Look at all these people, you know? Like I literally, my, in my Bible, I have written next to it, LOL. I'm laughing out loud every time I read this. Like, Jesus, really? Like, I'm with Peter. Uh, look at all these people. Like, I'm pretty sure I just bumped into you, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? And yet this woman who's been subjected to bleeding for 12 years comes, and I don't think you understand how offensive this is, okay? Because the other side of this is she's in the midst of a crowd and considered at this point, she's unclean. And in this culture, she should, get ready for this, okay? She should be doing this, unclean, unclean. Well, why should she be? Because she is subjected to bleeding. So anybody who touches her is also unclean. And so she should be screaming like this so that the crowd knows, don't come close to me. But she's not. In fact, she's hiding in the crowd, knowing that she's unclean, not saying anything to anyone. And she comes up and sees Jesus and she's like, you know, I'm just gonna touch, I'm just gonna touch the fringe of his robe. And immediately she's healed. 
then Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Peter's like, <laughs> you know, I love Peter. Peter's like me. Bro, everybody's in the crowd. I don't know. There's like 15 people just touched you in the last 30 seconds. Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. Now she didn't start to tremble because Jesus just healed her. She started to tremble because she realized she's about to get called out. And if I get called out as someone who's unclean in this crowd, this crowd's gonna, they're gonna kill me. They're gonna stone me. She, she doesn't want to be called out in this moment. It's almost as if Jesus, like I, I started to think about this even with our like phones because have you seen that commercial about the, I think it's the new iPhone where it's like three people in a band and they're like, what about this? And she like focuses on herself. And then the other dude's like, no, what about this? And he presses on himself and it focuses on him because it's like portrait mode. Like this is the way Jesus saw people. Like when Jairus comes out of the crowd, what happens? Everybody else goes into a blur and it's focused right on Jairus. They start to walk through this crowd and a woman touches him and all of a sudden he turns around and the rest of the crowd becomes this blur and he's focused in on one person, this woman. This is what Jesus has called us to. And it's easy for me, even in the midst of like doing this, to see this entire crowd and you have to focus on just one person and say, what is it that, that is going on in your life today? What is it that you need? When the woman realized that she uh, could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately heal, healed. I, I think there should be a pause after 47 and 48. Because at this point, everybody in the crowd's wondering, what is Jesus going to do? Like, is Jesus going to say, okay, like she's unclean in this crowd, stoner. Or is, is Jesus going to reprimand her for what she just did? Or is Jesus, what is Jesus going to do in this moment? It's almost like, you know, when something happens, like a kid like breaks something in the house is that we've been with family. Okay. So, uh, and like everybody looks at the parents, you know, like look at you and you're like, like what's, what's mom or dad going to do? You know, like, is he going to die today? You know, <laughs> dad is going to kill Ralphie, you know, like one of those moments, right? That's what happens. Everyone pauses and looks at Jesus like, what's he going to do with this? And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I don't think anybody would have expected that. I don't think anybody in the crowd would have anticipated that even happening. And yet, what did Jesus just do? He did exactly what the crowd showed up for. He, he did a miracle does a miracle right before them. But you see, the thing is, is that all of that started, all of that started with one simple phrase, that Jesus saw a man named Jairus. Jesus saw a woman subjected to bleeding. In fact, we read that 40 times in the gospels that Jesus saw, he saw someone. He saw an individual. It wasn't a crowd. He didn't walk in and see a crowd. He saw one person. And every time we read that in the Bible, it's the beginning of a massive transformation in someone's life. You see, Jesus saw individual people. Therefore, we should see individual people. 
It's the same for us. In fact, uh, Genesis 16, uh, Hagar gives the, the name to God, God who sees me, El Roy. And Jesus exemplifies that over and over in his life. He sees you. He sees your one. They might not know Jesus yet, but Jesus sees them. And I found myself praying this and asking God, can you help me see them the way you see them? My one for one prayer time, I find myself praying that, like just to help me see that person, not the way I see them, because I, the way I see them is gonna be sinful and selfish. But the way you see them, you're willing to go out of your way to sacrifice, to do whatever it takes to be able to interact with and experience them. And that's what, that's what Jesus calls us to. And so I started to think like, what, what is it that we as a people should be doing, right? Um, if God's willing to go to credible lengths for the one person, like what do we need to be doing and going to credible lengths to do, to be able to go after that one person? And so I, I just took another story from scripture. Um, I think it's exemplified in the story of Philip. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter eight, I believe. That is correct. Acts chapter eight. Because you see, this is kind of the early church. Uh, Philip understood this. Philip got this idea that it's one person at a time and that we follow the Holy Spirit's leading when it comes to that. And so we see in Acts chapter eight, verse 12, it says this, but now the people believe Philip's message, the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Okay, so let's just talk about what's happening before this. Philip is preaching in Samaria. Right? He, he just gets done with this massive crowd. Again, here's another massive crowd. Philip preaches, and after he gets done preaching, it, it says that many men and women were baptized. Right? Like he gets done preaching the word of God, and all these people are accepting Christ, they're being baptized, their lives are changed, their eternity's changed. And in the midst of all of that success and ministry, God says, all right, now I'm going to take you and I'm going to send you this direction because I see one who needs you. If you jump to verse 26, it says this, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met a treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kadak, a queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet of Isaiah. Now here, I asked myself this question, like why when they have these masses, the massive crowd uh, that he is, Philip is preaching to and teaching to. There's people who are being, accepting Christ, being baptized. Well, why would God say in the middle of that, you know, I'm going to take you from here. It would almost be like God took me from right here. I'm just preaching to you. And he's like, all right, well, see you guys later. I, I, God just told me I need to go down 10th street, you know, like, and I just leave. Like, why would God take him from a group of people down to a random road that runs between Jerusalem and Gaza? Well, for one person. Right, for, for the one. God saw this one. It was an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, you can read about eunuch. We got kids in the room. I'm going to tell you what that is. But some of you know. Uh, 
right? There's a eunuch in the crowd and he gets in, he's coming from Jerusalem, from worship, and he opens up the Bible. He's reading from Isaiah, but he doesn't have any idea what he's reading. He's not a follower of Jesus. He does not know God, but he's reading God's word and he's trying to understand it. And so God sends Philip down there. It says this in verse 29. And then the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. (laughs) Have you ever had a moment where God told you to do something? You know, and you're like, I don't know about that one, God. (laughs) Why would you ask me to do that? Philip could, at any moment, Philip could have been like, that's weird, walk next to some guy's carriage. I don't see people do that in our culture. Why would you ask me to go do that? He doesn't do that. Verse 30, Philip ran over to the carriage and heard the man reading from the prophet of Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. It's this... He follows the Holy Spirit's voice and he's given what? A divine opportunity. He leaves the crowd. He goes to this place where he's going to interact with one person. He doesn't even know that. He's just following God's voice. He's listening to him. He's following the instruction. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, go stand next to that carriage. Walk next to that carriage. He does so. And all of a sudden here, he's in this divine opportunity. Hey, you know what? I want you to get in the carriage with me and help me understand what I'm reading. It's amazing to me that, that, that Philip just continues to follow because here's what I want you to see. Philip's proximity provided a divine opportunity. He was mimicking what Jesus would do. Jesus would find himself and, and even take routes that were not routes that usual Jewish people took. Why? To run into people. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus had no business taking that route. In fact, the disciples are like, hey, why, why don't we, we, I think everybody usually takes, <laughs> we go around this town, right? Not many of us go through. Why are we going through this town? Well, we know the story, right? He sends the disciples into town to get some food and then he runs in to the woman at the well. Because you see, Jesus, Jesus sees people. God sees people. Philip saw someone it was a divine opportunity for him to jump in and explain a little bit about Jesus. And the truth is, is that your proximity will provide you with an opportunity, a divine opportunity. And maybe you haven't had it yet, right? Maybe you haven't had the opportunity with your one to sit down and have a conversation, tell them you're praying for them, but maybe you have. Some of you have experienced that divine opportunity. I was telling you, somebody in the lobby was telling me about just this past week, sharing their story with their one because the holidays provided a divine opportunity for them to share. This is what Jesus was about. This is what we want to be about as a church. Praying for and taking advantage of these divine opportunities. Jump down to verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. In that moment, because Philip was obedient to seeing somebody and going to the place that God asked him to go. And because he took advantage of the divine opportunity, he changed a person's eternity. 
changed a person's eternity. The Ethiopian eunuch was baptized that day and will be in heaven with you and I. At this church, we talk about all the time, we want to show the one the way to connect to Jesus, how to belong to Jesus, how to become like Jesus and how to build Jesus' kingdom here on earth. And the truth is, is that is exactly how you and I are doing it. Listen, if it's all up to me, about the 20 to 30 minutes I'm on this stage once a week, it isn't gonna happen. I'm good, but I'm not that good. Okay, I'm not good at all, guys. I stop, I'm fine. I take that back. I take that back. I take that back. I take that back. I'm sorry. I'm gonna get in trouble for that from my wife later. Um, it's okay. I had to. I needed to hear you laugh. All right. It's just not gonna happen. It's got to be you. It's got to be the church. You have to ask God for divine opportunities and then listen, pay attention, follow his lead. Some of you have been doing this. I don't know where this story started. I don't even, I've yet to figure all the details of it out. I think I'm going to tell it correctly today, okay? It's obviously the holidays. Uh, it was before Christmas, um, a height of shopping for all the things you need for Christmas. Um, and uh, there was a woman that found herself in the middle of a decor, a store, crying because this would be the first Christmas without her husband. Someone who attends this church, all of a sudden works there, came, stopped in the middle of the aisle to give that person a hug, to ask what was going on, to listen a person who worked at the store invited them to church here. They came to church here. Immediately met that, the, a couple of women from our widows group that meets every month. They just so happened to be meeting that Thursday. This woman comes back that Thursday and finds a group of people where she can belong. All right? The next Sunday, second Sunday, this person attends is a Sunday where we have a lunch with Lance and Amanda. If you don't know what that is, it's where we do once a month. Anybody that's new to the church can come have lunch with my wife and I, and we just explain a little bit about the church and get to know you. In that time, as she's sharing her story, she says how she got here. Another lady begins to share, and she is also a widow. And you'd, I watched it happen. <laughs> I watched it happen as she, watched, she heard that this woman was a widow. It was almost like I couldn't wrap up lunch fast enough. And as soon as I did, beeline straight over here because there was somebody else who needed to belong somewhere. She'd been here two weeks. She understood this. Got it. Was all in on it. That's what it looks like to be about one person at a time. Listen, we're not going to be that one person for everybody, but we can be that one person for somebody. And that's what we're asking of you. That's what we want for you. That's what we want to help you do. So again, I ask you to ask God for divine opportunities and then pay attention because he's going to provide them. I'm going to wrap up by going back to our first story. So if you want to flip back over to Luke chapter eight, because uh, we started with one, we should probably end with one, right? Because Jesus, once he heals uh, this woman, well, uh, he's actually still speaking to her. Somebody shows up, a messenger from Jairus' home, saying, there, you don't need to bring Jesus any longer. Your daughter died. Your daughter, she's gone. 
You imagine the heartbreak for Jarius. I mean, Jarius, like if we wouldn't have stopped for this person, we, maybe my daughter wouldn't have died. I mean, that's what I would have been thinking if I was Jarius, right? It doesn't say that in the Bible, but in my mind, that's exactly what Jairus would be thinking. Verse 50. Then Jesus heard what had happened. He said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she'll be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. You see, Jesus he sees the process with the one all the way through to the end. The story started with one, it ended with one. Now, of course, you're going to say, well, that is Jesus. Yes, I know, you're probably not going to raise anybody from the dead. But you can see people. You can show them the love of Jesus. You can offer them grace that they don't experience anywhere else. You can speak the truth to them that they're not hearing anywhere else. And my hope is, my prayer for 2024 is that we would see more, more and more people come to know Jesus, not for your glory, not for my glory, not for this church's glory, but for Jesus' glory, his alone. And so what we wanna do is we wanna take a second right now. And if you're joining us and haven't been with us, I'm gonna ask you to just try to think through maybe somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus. And we're going to take our minute during service to pray for our one. Now, kids, I need you to help me in here. Kids, are you paying attention? Hey, look up here. Kids, eyes. All right. There's going to be a countdown timer on the screen. Okay. The adults are going to be praying. So I need you to be really quiet for the 60 seconds. It's going to go all the way down to zero. But when it hits zero, this is your turn. Okay. When it hits zero, I want to hear all you kids yell as loud as you can. Amen. Okay. All right. Can you do that for me? Now, you keep your eyes open. You shut your eyes. You're not going to see the countdown, okay? Then you're going to scream amen at 30 seconds, and that's going to be weird, all right? Pay attention to the timer. As adults, we're going to pray for one minute for somebody who doesn't know Jesus right now. And then when 60 seconds ends, I'm going to do it too. I'm going to watch the timer, but I'm going to pray too. I'm going to try to do both, all right? All right, let's pray for one minute for our one. Let's begin.
Amen. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Good job, kids. Thank you.